With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. October 11th, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and joining me here in the studio on time today, sitting already in the chair, is cartoonist Bosch Boston. Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. So, what have we got planned for you today? If you go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, you can see the post corresponding to today's show with all of the program notes. Today, we are going to start with a discussion of some of the week's top stories and, of course, selected with my particular interests in mind. And then we're going to continue our coverage of the Common Core, which we started last week, including, I'm pleased to say, a second-hour interview. About halfway through the second hour, we will be joined by C. Bradley Thompson. He's a professor at Clemson University. You may remember that I interviewed him for the Tammy Bruce Show a few months ago, and he advocates the complete abolition of government schools the complete abolition of government schools. That means getting government, any level of government, local, state, any level of government, out of education entirely. He believes, and I agree with him, that it is not a proper function of government to educate children, particularly not where you are stealing money from some people to educate other people's kids. That's about as bad as it gets. Anyway, we'll talk about that more in the second hour. But if you want to join in on the discussion, you can join in live here if you're listening at Blog Talk Radio on Friday, 12 p.m. Pacific time when we're live. Uh, The phone number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And again, go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com and check out the program notes for the various stories that we're going to talk about and some of the clips that I have on the Common Core. The other place you can join in is at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, and I see there's a bunch of people here in the chat room already chiming in. We've got Holly and Michael already starting to participate, and I see a bunch of people are there not quite commenting yet. We will see how it goes. But I wanted to start with a post that someone on Facebook made this week. It was a status update. And let me just kind of give you the flavor of it, and you tell me how you react, and I'll tell you how I react to it. Here it goes. Someone said, and I'm not going to do an exact quote because I, I need to give credit and 
um, you know, basically I want to retain the anonymity of the person. But this person said basically that after a long time thinking about it, this person has decided to remove politics from his or her life as much as possible. And uh, the person goes on to say it's not easy to decide something like this because politics, after all, is very important. But life is more important, and so this person instead wants to focus more on achieving the values that more directly impact the enjoyment of life. Now, how do you, how do you react when you see something like that, Bosch? I mean, well, I sort of know because we had a discussion on this earlier this week. I was week, just but... inspired, so I'm going to stop uh, criticizing Obama, Islam, uh, the U.S. government, and everything, and I'm checking out. I'm done. That just inspired me. Yeah. And Islam means peace. Yeah, yeah. No. I get, I get uh, instantly angry because good people uh, walking away from the fight that is being fought right now, uh, I don't know. They, in one way, they're reliant on those who aren't going to give up. Well, okay, they will me... be the beneficiaries of those who will never give up the fight. Well, I I don't think that they should be the beneficiaries of other people who don't give up the fight. But they will be, regardless. Well, okay, but but back up, right? You have to think that the fight is still the proper fight to be fighting, which we do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here in front of this microphone right now. We would have checked out long ago, right? So you have to know that. Now, if you believe that the fight is proper and fighting within the system, not checking out is the proper thing to do, then you should keep going. Or, and and here's the thing, right? Just as there's, you know, suppose it was a military battle, there's a war. There is no duty for you to become an enlisted soldier, yep. right? But if you intend to benefit from the efforts of the people who are fighting, then you should contribute in some way, right? So this, this is kind of, I mean, first of all, let me back up a little. My reaction when I see somebody talking about this is sympathy. And people who have heard me on the show it's funny, know, we, we have right? very different uh, reactions. Yeah, no, I'm 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 instantly sympathetic. I get pissed off, and you were sympathetic. I'm I'm sympathetic. I'm very sympathetic, and it's one less fighter in the battle. The way I see it, one less fighter, a good fighter, and uh, this is not. You know, I, I mean, you know, it's 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 like uh, Rob writes something here. Pol- you know, he goes. Uh, you can remove politics from your life, but politics won't remove. I should wrote that true. in the table form. My first graph. No, I wrote. Uh, one guy says they're arguing. I'm not into politics because politics is into you. You know, and they have their claws in us, and we can't. We we can deny politics the way we we deny reality. You know, which is which is what they're doing. They're coming for us. They're right. coming for our freedom in every inch. They're moving towards us, and we got to fight them off. Right. And to not fight them, to just sit back again, you will, regardless of what you think, you will end up being the beneficiary of those who will never give up and never fight. Right. Never never stop fighting. Well, and, and I know it's, it's not a duty, but if you actually believe. As the individual said, that he knows it's important. He knows politics are important, and you know the right politics and all that. But you know, I'm gonna. Well, okay, okay. So, so back up again. I think one of the most important things is to ask yourself whether we are at a stage where fighting in the system, from within the system, to reform the system, to reform the culture, is still the right thing to do. It is. And I know there are there's smatterings of discussions of people on Facebook who say. No longer, we can't talk to these people, it's all over. Don't try to reform the culture anymore. 
I've I've been seeing this lately, and they're very discouraged in part because you know GOP's caving all over the place and whatever. We'll talk about some of that later. I couldn't even read the headline story. Um, uh, Jonathan Honig is in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. And and he's quoting from Moran. She says, "We must care about the right social system because our lives depend on it. Because a political system, good or bad, is established in our name, and we bear the responsibility for it." End quote. Now, right now, here here's the thing, right? You know, and and it's this the whole question that comes out in Atlas Shrugged, and you know, again, I don't want to give too much of a plot spoiler, but is the idea that you're still going to fight within the system to improve and change the system? Or do you say that you the way, the best way to achieve the proper social system is by withdrawing and getting away from it and not giving anything your sanction? Now, now here's the deal. If, if you think that fighting within the system and achieving cultural reform is still something that is important, but that in your context of values and the way it affects you to be involved in that kind of fight directly, it, it's just too much for you. Or suppose you've been fighting on the front lines for a while and you think you've done enough and you just can't do it and you want to go focus on other things for your health, for your sanity. I say fine, but I would say that that person who expects to gain a benefit from those people who are still fighting should contribute. And I'm not saying, you know, okay, I'm one of the people who's still fighting, so now contribute to my show. Um, I love if people contribute to my show, but uh, there's all kinds of people who are on the front lines. If you think Cato's doing a good job, if you think the Ayn Rand Institute is doing a good job, the Objective Standard is doing a good job, um, you know, anybody who's out there, Tammy Bruce is, is fighting against no, the, the growth of status. No, good people so, fighting. There are people who are... In good, effective ways. Right, right. Mark Levin, the the Liberty Amendments. I think it is a perfectly legitimate option to say, I'm sick of this, I'm going to focus on achieving other values, and I'm going to contribute to those people who are still happy fighting on the front line. I understand intellectually, I do. I still get this feeling that, you know, I just, we need good people fighting. Yeah. And when a good person walks away from the fight... For reasons that, in my opinion, I would never do. I just, I, I can't imagine not fighting. Right. I can't. Right. I just doesn't. It doesn't connect with me. Yeah. But I can respect him and say he has fought the good fight. But still, it's like we need good people out there, and the less we have, the worse off we are. Right. Uh, especially right now. I mean, right now, again, we are on the precipice. This country itself, we are on the precipice of going somewhere we've never gone before. With a, with Obamacare and with Common Core and all this crap that's coming. Now, Holly in the chat room here says maybe refresh or reboot. Yeah, that might be well, what some people actually, need to do sometimes. I, no, I think she's actually talking about someone in in there with the chat room. But, oh, oh. But, 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 in terms of refresh. Uh, Sorry, someone's having a computer problem and she's saying a refresh page. or reboot. Michael Randall has a Facebook right. page, uh, GOP Reboot. It's a great title. Well, right, but if that's it, an activist it, page. But the thing I'm talking about is the person himself is refreshing, recharging his batteries, rebooting, and maybe we'll return to the fight. I hope so. You know? I hope so. So, so, uh, I so mean, there is what, that, too. You, you need to take breaks away. When Jerome was on, he all said something. It was uh, something that we all, I guess, think about if we think about it, but he, he actually pointed out. The fact that I, I don't want to talk about too much details, details about Alex Shrug, but the characters didn't just say, oh, I'm done. I'm out. They're no, no, fighting. No, no, no. No, and exactly. They're absolutely they're, fighting. They're, they're active. Right, you know. right. And, in and, their, you know, quote unquote, shrugging passivity, they're absolute active agents in trying to, you know, push things over to the point where it 
you know, they can. I don't want to. Right, again, right. Now, now here's the thing: if if you're not the kind of person who has the kind of leverage to actually fight in the uh, way that the, the actually, hero, Holly actually meant that literally. Okay, good. She meant yeah. Good, Holly. <laughs> sorry. Um, the uh, if you're not like the people in Atlas Shrugged who are fighting the particular way that they were fighting, you have to go ahead and read Atlas Shrugged to see. Yeah. Uh, if your idea is, well, you're just going to be withdrawing yeah. from society and not engaging at all. If, if that's your idea, you just want to let society go on without you and not give it your sanction, so to speak, then you still need to think about politics to a certain extent because you have to be very careful as to where you might be giving sanction, where your money's going in terms of maybe supporting your enemies. I hear Starbucks is maybe up to some garbage. Yeah, and I might have to change right. where I'm drinking my lattes, which would really make me upset. So I might have to learn about that and then yep. see what happens. But, you know, the whole point is that I don't think you can completely remove it. now. But I do sympathize with the idea that you just don't want to be on the front lines, actively engaging, immersing yourself in politics all the time, and there are different different strategies ugly. for surviving. No, it, it, it's, the worse it's getting, the uglier it's getting. I can I can see that point. I just think uh, you know we need uh, good people uh, fighting for the future. Yeah, we I mean, need that. Again, there's no duty to do it, but no, it, we live the, in this the, world. Yeah, but to we the want extent to be that you are going to benefit from the effort of others to do it, maybe just you know throw money to those people who are fighting the fight for you. And know that even though in your own life, I mean, and I think it's perfectly legitimate, focus on the values that are most important to you. Some people enjoy the fight. Yaron Brook surely enjoys the front lines of the fight. I enjoy it to a certain extent, but I'm very aware that I back off here and there. If I was to do a daily show, you know, I've talked about this before, that if someone offered me a job, first of all, I think if a radio network offered me a job as a talk radio host, that we're would show yes. that we're already further along towards changing the culture in a positive direction. Yes. Anyway, I, I think I've got a lot to offer, but I think I'm so extreme in, in my ideas, and some of that will come out today in the Common Core discussion, that if they did hire me and they had me on and I had corporate sponsors and the whole bit, that would say a lot about where we are as a culture. So right. it would already be, make it more palatable for me to be a radio host. You know, things right. things go like this for a reason. I've always put on my Vita my connection to Ayn Rand's ideas, and I've written about her ideas openly in all my published work. And you do that because you say, okay, the people who are going to give you a job, you want them to know your ideas. You don't want to go around hiding them. or being, So, you know, again, I'm very out in the open. I'm not going to, you know, censor myself. But... If And then if a network hires me, right. so much the better. In any event, if I did do a daily show and things were still as bad as today, then I think you'd be hearing a lot more of the personal stuff about bacon cupcakes. I'd need to eat a lot more bacon cupcakes, I yes. think, to survive. I think we need to um, bake them, actually. Yeah, I'd have to come up with great recipes more for the bacon. bacon cupcakes, right? You know. More bacon in the I mean, bacon Greasier bacon in the bacon cupcake. It'll be cupcake. a true bacon cupcake, more bacon than cupcake, but anyway. Robert NYC says division of labor. He says politics is the last stage. The battle needs to be fought in the other areas. Well, it needs to be fought on, on every well. level. Yes. Every level, you know, directly in politics on those levels. No doubt about it. On every level, anyone who thinks, well, we, we just got to focus on no, no we got to focus all over. But there are individuals who can focus on particular areas better than others. 
And that's what they they focus on naturally. Right? Oh yeah. Now, and if you enjoy fighting at the level of politics, then do it to the extent that you like it. If you don't enjoy it and yet you think that fight is still worthwhile, do what you enjoy yeah, and contribute exactly. to other people who are doing what you think right. is I valuable mean, work. Believe me, I don't drag myself to our table. Oh man, I got to draw this card too. It, no, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And if you love and, it, uh, it'll it'll show. It's as well. a it's a, it's a, it's a good battle. So anyway, that was my. My little pontificate, but it is true. You know, we have those opposite reactions. I'm instantly sympathetic, instantly sympathetic. I'm not. I'm instantly uh, pissed off. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, another guy, another fighter stops fighting. And and if you notice that these are both reactions of characters in Atlas Shrugged. Yes, it's some true. people get mad, some people are sympathetic. Yeah. And it depends also on the timing of you know, you reading or, right. or hearing about this as well. You could be particularly fed up with the news and have a different reaction than yep. another time. So I have a little note over at my program notes. Try out Evernote. This is my little geeky, mm-hmm. your you know, host revealing inner geekness <laughs> for today. I've been trying out Evernote. And yes, I know if I put stuff on Evernote, the NSA <laughs> is going to have it. Hi, NSA people. Yeah. All the stuff that I have posted on Evernote is boring. Enjoy. Um, but Evernote is really cool. It offers the promise of going paperless with a lot of things. It is basically a place where you can clip and save and organize all sorts of reminders to yourself. You can put reference material. People can do GTD, the getting things done methodology using Evernote. It's, it's a really cool, powerful piece of software. If you haven't tried it out and you want to support your host's inner geek, Use the link under the program notes. Enough said. Uh, it will let me be a premium person forever or something. You got two Evernote. Uh, yeah, pe- people love Evernote. Excellent. A couple aficionados in the chat room, Robert and David, say it's awesome. So a couple other endorsements. Of course, they probably have their own links. They said, try it and support my <laughs> premium subscription. But since I'm the host, I put my little link there. So here we are. Uh, let's talk about a couple of news stories before we go into the Common Core. The world is still going on around us as I want to focus on the Common Core. And there were a few stories that caught my attention this week. One is, I love this story. Hmm. I love this story. $2 billion NSA spy center is going up in flames. This story was posted on the Fiscal Times. I'm not so familiar with the publication, but it's thefiscaltimes.com. And the story was published this week, October 8th. The National Security Agency's $2 billion mega spy center is going up in flames. This is literal. It says, technical glitches have sparked fiery explosions within the NSA's newest and largest data storage facility in Utah, destroying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and delaying the facility's opening by one year. You get that one-year delay on the individual mandate, right? No, it's a whole different thing, but yeah, one-year delay. And it says, and no one seems to know how to fix it. (laughs) How do they know it's a delay of one year if no one knows how to fix it? I, I, just, I don't know either. Everything's one year, right? I just love it. So then it says, for a country that prides itself on being a technology leader, not knowing the electrical capacity requirements for a system as large as this is inexcusable. Within the last 13 months, at least 10 electric surges have each cost about $100,000 in damages. Your tax dollars mm. burnt, literally. 
according to documents obtained by the Wall Street Journal. Experts agree that the system, which requires about 64 megawatts of electricity, I have no idea how much that is. If we had Alex Epstein, he could tell us. They say that's about a $1 million a month energy bill. And then I ask you the question, a $1 million a month energy bill in which state? Because California, I'm sure, has higher bills than anybody else. Anyway, it says it's not able to run all of its computers and servers while keeping them cool, which is likely triggering the meltdowns. So my first thought with this was that this shows, this is just further proof, and all the government ineptitude that we see, you know, you see it at the post office, you're seeing it on the Obamacare website where, what was it, only 6,000 some odd successfully registered yeah. or something. I mean, right. just, something it, ridiculous. It, it, it's a total, total farce. You yeah. know, this idea that Absolutely. you're going to you're gonna wait in line while you're online. On whether, a, that's, whether that's by design to jump on the, uh, on the um, uh, what's it called, the individual, the individual, what did Sibylla say and what did John, uh, John Stewart say to her? Remember that? I don't know. What's the single pair? Yeah, maybe it's it's they said make it as terrible as possible. We could jump on the single pair. I mean, well, I mean, I mean yeah, so supposedly, supposedly they spent six hundred and some odd I million mean, dollars the, on this website. It's evil and incompetence combined. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. Well, no, but of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is, and that's what I'm saying. So. Yeah. There is something in philosophy that we call the unity of right. the virtues. Exactly. The unity of the virtues. So, for example, in objectivism, we have a number of virtues, and, and it's not an exhaustive list, and, the, and they're all discussed in detail in Leonard Peikoff's book, Objective, Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand, which I recommend. But virtues for objectivists include justice of which this government has no <laughs> clue at no. all because our government initiates force against us left and right, and therefore violates that virtue all over the place. The NSA itself is an exercise in injustice completely. Why? Because they're spying on Americans. They are collecting all of our personal data without a warrant, without any particularized suspicion. So they are the epitome of injustice. So on the other hand, what they're trying to do is they're trying to be supposedly productive, make this spy center, rational, design it appropriately for all the mass spying that they want to perform, and lo and behold, they can't seem to be as rational and productive Uh as they think they can. So I think people who are unjust are getting what's coming to them, and I love seeing evidence of that. So here it is in the $2 billion NSA spy center going up in flames. I mean, the worst part about it, of course, is that all of our tax money is just down the drain. But what are they going to go ahead and do? They'll just print some more. What do you care? Anyway, so there's that story. And I think the timing is perfectly appropriate. It's wonderful because there are two different pieces of legislation right now that want to drastically curb, if this legislation is passed, it will drastically curb the NSA's ability to engage in this bulk collection of data, this collection of the haystack, so to speak, as people like to talk about. You know, the commentators say, the Fox News commentators say, they say, hey, if you're going to find the needle in the haystack, you have to have the haystack. Uh, And therefore, the argument goes, it's all of our duty to just sit back and let the NSA take our so-called metadata and throw it into the haystack so that they can find their needle in the haystack bunch of garbage and two different acts in Congress right now, two different pieces of legislation are 
proposing to cut back drastically. And I've got the links to both of those stories on my blog over at DontLetItGo.com. The most recent is actually just published yesterday at The Guardian headline, Patriot Act author, one of the authors of the Patriot Act, prepares a bill to put NSA bulk collection, quote, out of business, end yeah, quote. And keep the NSA and all that. I mean, you mean, no, no, because uh, it says here, what does it say? Oh. You're, tr- you're, you're, you're trying to scroll on my laptop like it's an iPad. That's not working very well. Dramatically um, reform, yeah, because we have unreformed politicians to reform something. I mean, it's just it's 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 embarrassing. Yeah, they want to dramatically reform the. NSA. I mean, no, but so, again, unreformed politicians can't reform anything because they can't reform themselves. Right. Now, let me read to you the kind of essence of what they want to do. It says it seeks to limit, first of all, the collection of phone records to known terrorist suspects. So they could collect phone records only of known terrorist suspects. The second thing it seeks to do is to end so-called secret Sorry, laws. does that say that because they consider some uh, Tea Party as terrorists? They actually say this. Remember um, Napolitano? They were in the... Uh, Remember that? They were in the system like, uh, I don't know, these right-wing terrorists. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Official I mean, yeah. terrorists, ones that have acted against us? or I, that... this From this article, I couldn't tell what they yeah. think terrorists actually yeah. are, but who knows? The definition of terrorist, mm. just like the definition of workplace violence, right. is uh, you know infinitely fluid right. in, our, in our government today. So the first thing is, again, limit the collection of phone records to known terrorist suspects. The second is to end so-called secret laws by making the courts disclose their surveillance policies. I love that. Because that's one of these things, you know, why, why should we have these secret laws about collecting our secrets? It's ridiculous. Uh, the third thing is create a special court advocate to represent privacy interests. And then the fourth is to allow companies to disclose how many requests for users' information they receive from the USA. That means Google, Apple, Facebook, all these companies could say, we have received X thousands of requests from the U.S. government this year. They don't have to keep their trap shut, which is wonderful. More transparency, more transparency. Mm-hmm. Obama promised us more transparency and just this week I, 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 didn't, I didn't even have the stomach to go look at the story but one of the headlines was that he closed the White House visitor blo- uh, logs yes. or whatever yes. he, you can't see the visitor logs why because of the Republican forced shutdown uh-huh. of government you can't see the visitor logs. I guess you had Bill Ayers in there to talk about Common Core but you know I mean probably I, I have no idea so these, some some real heavy duty bad so, guys. So these, these are the reforms, right? These are the, the reforms. They're going to do all of these things. They, another thing they say that, that the bill does is to tighten up language governing overseas surveillance to remove a loophole which has been abused to target internet and email activities of Americans. If you remember some of the stories that we've covered on my you know my show here, don't let it go. We have talked about the fact that even though they are supposedly targeting overseas people for surveillance, they end up bringing into this wide dragnet the Internet and email activities of Americans as well. And they go, oh, wow, we got some extra. That's cool. Let's look at that, too. Yeah, so yes. it's this is all good. 
this is a good start. And similarly, if you go to that first article, then there was a link to the second article. The second article is one from, I would say, a few weeks ago. Well, it's it's, it's election time next year, so they're they're getting ready. They are. I mean, they're getting ready. Like, guys, we're doing something. Vote for us. Yeah. Well, and and, no doubt. I mean, the good thing about the NSA issue, at least, is that there is some quote bipartisan consensus on it. So you have Democrats and Republicans who are both savvy to the idea that the government should not just be a big spy. That we shouldn't live in 1984. But then, but then again, the other party passes Obamacare and supports it. You know what I mean? So it's like it's 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 BS. If these, if they're concerned about that, then they ought to be concerned about Obamacare, but they're not. So this is just something to get their constituents to vote for them next year. I mean, I I believe that. Some of them. That's I think it's true. absolute BS on their part. That's true. People in the chat room, Michael has posted a link to the story that says the Congress is overhauling its insider trading law. Yeah, there's a lot of things that people are yeah. doing kind of behind the scenes oh, yeah. to get what they want. Politicians <laughs> will will always do that. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Retart in the chat room says that he's officially a wait, terrorist. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, Dr. Retart. Now, he could be a punk who's using that name in order for us to say that name and say some stupid things in the chat room. We do we have had that before. You know, oh yeah, we have. So let's see. You know, let's see what Dr. Cordago Retart says mm-hmm. and does before he gets kicked out. Not sure. Don't know. We will see. In any event, would you ever call yourself in... Dr. Retart? Chat room? No, I wouldn't. No. Um but that's okay. Uh, I don't. I don't know exactly what it means. Maybe Doctor Retart could explain what the he wants us to say the, the name again and again as we are. Anyway, could be. Anyway, in this particular law here, it's similar types of reforms. And the main thing that I wanted to say about these two bills that are being proposed right now, they both want to significantly curtail the spying activities by the NSA, which is great. But they are doing it by tinkering with the legislation that has authorized this spying. They are not doing it in a fundamental way, which is to get rid of the third-party doctrine. And I'm particularly disappointed because Rand Paul is mm. involved in the other story. So if you look at the I'm, second... See, I'm not disappointed. He's, he is a Mr. Back and Forth. He's good and bad again and again where you can't trust him. Yeah. So this is, this is consistent with Rand Paul. He's absolutely consistent in this. Let's listen to the description of this other bill that involves Udall and Rand Paul and everybody else. It says it would prohibit the NSA's bulk collection of phone records of Americans. Um, And then it says it would also prevent a similar data trawl of Internet communication records, which was stopped in 2011. Um, It would definitively close a so-called backdoor that potentially enables the NSA to intercept the Internet communications of Americans. This sounds very similar. It might even be the same bill, but maybe they're covering the bill a couple times from different angles. In any event, what this doesn't do is get rid of the third-party doctrine. They could, if they wanted to, just pass a law that says the third-party doctrine is gone. And from what and you know, uh, Rand Paul is aware of the issue. He has he he's spoken the words third-party doctrine. On Fox, yes, I've seen has. him speak those words. They may have just been worse than though. He's like a third-party doctor. Okay, I'll I'll say that, and, and, and people will get impressed. It's not that hard to understand what the third-party doctrine no, is, and and a number of the commentators on Fox came around to the idea of understanding what it is. This doctrine has to go. It should not be the case that simply because you share information with Facebook, 
Google, Apple, Evernote, whatever, that you therefore have no reasonable expectation of privacy in that information and therefore that company can just hand it over to the government without any kind of a search warrant, that is garbage. That is the doctrine that needs to go. You, Senator Rand Paul, you, Mark Udall, and who else is it who's involved in it? Um, Hack one, hack two, and hack three, I think. Yeah, uh, it, it's Udall, uh, Richard Blumenthal. They always they say uh, as well. Richard Blumenthal, just for record, um, he actually Wyden, Wyden, yeah, Wyden is Blumenthal the other one lied about of. his Vietnam uh, experience. I mean, he said that he was a soldier, and never was. So that's just the nature of, of the guy that he's working with. But go on. Uh, so he'll get credit. By the way, I'll give Doctor Quote Unquote Retard the benefit of the doubt because he says that it was a name given to him by liberals. I guess he's using it as a badge of honor. Who knows? Good. We'll see. Yep. We'll see by the content of his uh, comments. I, I've seen nothing wrong. Okay. I've seen nothing wrong in the chat room. If I do, I boot people. Just don't, don't get retarded. Anyway. <laughs> but we're all retarded according to them. That's yeah. the whole point. We are. So because this legislation does not get rid of the third-party doctrine, because all it does is tinker right. Right. and say, oh, well, we don't like this NSA. Basically, these politicians are either saying that they are doing whatever's politically feasible right now, or they're saying that they themselves would like to reserve to the government the power to authorize by statute whether or not the government can engage in these sorts of activities. They want to save the government's ability to do this. And it's completely wrong. I think it's unconstitutional. You know, there's two different things, right? Is there something right or wrong? to do is something unconstitutional to do. There were there are a number of things that are constitutional that I would still say are wrong, okay? Right, right. Uh, some interference in interstate commerce that is allowed by the Commerce Clause. Maybe it's constitutional. I would say it's completely right, wrong. Right. Uh, I would say Obamacare, it, it, it they is, call it constitutional. It is both wrong and unconstitutional, in my opinion, to have the government obtain without a warrant, without probable cause, without particularized suspicion, information about Americans, even if it's just so-called metadata, even if you're going to just put it in a big database and you're not going to look at it directly, you're just going to do this big search, you know, the needle in the haystack stuff. It is wrong. You have no duty to turn your data over into the, the haystack I don't care if they think that that's the best way of doing things. It's not. They just need to give up, and they need to target the particular groups yep. that you know the, the groups that are posing the risk of terrorism. Right. If they were to narrow their focus, they'd probably be a lot more effective. Yeah, and it's a small minority. I mean, so, the ones who actually go out there and act on it. So it's a step in the right direction. It could make that entire Utah data center superfluous, right. unnecessary, gone, which would be wonderful. Yep. Uh, another two billion of Taxpayer well, they keep dollars moving down the drain. inch by inch towards a smaller government, a more effective government. And I don't mean, you know, as Bob said, we're going to streamline things, meaning keep everything, just streamline it. B.S. I would love to give a discussion to people in Congress about why Absolutely. they should pass legislation getting rid of the third-party doctrine. Oh, no doubt about Cause, it. Because they could do that. The doctrine is, is a Supreme Court interpretation of the Fourth Amendment, and I think it's wrong. I think Congress should take it on directly. As opposed to saying, well, we don't like that this statute authorizes this. Let's just close this loophole here and a little bit of tinkering there. It's like um, 
what's his name, who I keep forgetting during the show, the politician who led the contract for America. Uh, Gingrich. 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 Yeah. I keep forgetting his name. Yeah. It must. I'm, I, it's a Freudian thing. It no, really is. I don't like I, him. I try not to you know, remember. Gingrich always talks about tinkering with yes. cuts in the budget. We'll just make government and more efficient. One of his heroes saying, is, well, uh, you know, I mean, one of his heroes don't, don't is FDR. He says he, one of his favorite uh, uh, president is FDR. What more do you need to know? I mean, honestly. He has some good stuff and terrible stuff, back and forth. Again, even in, in the last uh, election, good, bad, good, bad, that means it's bad. If you can be both good and bad, you're bad. Unity of the virtues, again. Yes, absolutely right. If, if you're bad on one front, I'm no going to be suspicious it. of you. Another. Which is Rand Which Paul's is, position. You know, and, and this is why. You know, how, how good of a compartment do these people, even a Ted Cruz, as good as he is in so many places, if he is actually pretty bad on some other issues and we would need to dig more and see yep. what's going on, it could come to bite us someday for supporting him. So that's why we always have this qualified support for various politicians. But in particular, this is a disappointment. Let's let's go ahead and discuss the undiscussable. Hmm. GOP is going to cave. It's not going to cave. Maybe it is going to cave. Who knows? we got some new agreement, a new debt plan, but there's no Breaking agreement. Breaking news. They're talking. Yeah, they're they're talking. They're uh, not talking. They're talking Mar- about not talking. <laughs> Mark Levin had the uh, you know the meet the press music. Din, 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 din. It's like supposedly heroic music, and he yeah. had that. He goes, they're talking. You know, <laughs> that's it. That's the breaking news. It's hilarious. I mean, when the breaking it, news is that they're talking about. It was not actually talking. Obama's staff talking with the politicians. I think that's what it was. Now look, there's a picture here on this <laughs> one here. story. Where you've got John McCain walking <laughs> right. in the close vicinity of Ted Cruz, and he has like a a face where he doesn't look too happy. He looks almost like he's uh, I don't know something's happening to him. And Ted Cruz is walking in front of him. He probably doesn't like that very much at all. Yeah, because he's leading the way mm. in more ways than one. Headline is new GOP shutdown slash debt plan, but no agreement yet. And you know, I I looked at this article and I really tried to read it. I really did. <laughs> right. I, I I don't want to hear in which way the GOP is caving or what the latest proposal is. What from what I understand, they are asking for something. They're asking for some wimpy concession. Yes. Some of the concessions that they might be asking Obama look, for are concessions apparently that Obama offered in his own budget that you know you know how Obama has written some budgets and thrown them out there and no body of either the House or the Senate has ever taken it up and voted on it or maybe right. they voted on it once and it all got voted they have never taken Obama's budget seriously no. but apparently there are some suggestions about making higher income Medicare recipients pay a little more than they do now or, you know, some stupid stuff like this that the GOP is putting in here so that they can say, hey, we got something for our concession. Yeah, right? exactly. And they're saying, look, uh, I got an election coming up again. But also, I mean, this, you know, I'm at the point, I'm not being cynical. I'm at a point where when will they cave? It's not a point, will they cave, will they cave? People are disappointed. When will they cave? This is who they are. What's keeping John Boehner standing tall, allegedly? Principal? No. Nothing. He's like, uh, I think I have to do this. I think so, and then I'll I'll compromise within a week, maybe. I mean, there's no there's nothing keeping him up. He's not a principled man. So what is keeping him up? I don't know. Uh, some polls that he saw. Hey, John, keep standing. I, I, I don't know. 
from what I understand, the message that everyone is giving them, and of course we're giving them too, it would be good for them to stand yes, strong. Yes. Obama's approval rating went down to 37%, yes. which is the real news in any of those media polls. Media try to that cover ever... that up Oh yeah. as best it could. Yeah, they put headlines yeah, just highlighting some other part of the poll that yeah. Republicans are being blamed for the shutdown. You, you know, polls are so lame. Imagine that the poll was, mm-hmm. I think it was 60% of Republicans are being blamed for the shutdown. What do you think? <laughs> well, all that means is, yeah, the Republicans maybe are the prime movers that got us to the shutdown place by standing yeah. strong on passing continuing resolutions or, with Obamacare changes or just passing little piecemeal Yeah, but it's Obama, funding. Harry Reid, and yeah. the rats who are not budging from their, you know, their position. They want it all. They want, you know, give us everything we got, then we'll open up the government. Yeah, they, they you know, give us 100% of what we yeah. want and then we'll negotiate. And then we'll negotiate. That has been... Yeah, that's the thinking behind yeah. this. So, you know, what is it going to do? It says that... In addition to ending the shutdown and increasing the debt limit, under the under the proposal that Congress and the White House uh, would explore the ways to ease across the board federal budget cuts that began taking effect a year ago, that's the sequester. They're still not able to reach an agreement about the sequester cuts, and so therefore those blunt, inelegant cuts that nobody ever thought they wanted to live under are there. So maybe they're trying to do some of that. The other thing is is that they want to replace at least part of those cuts with benefit program curbs that have been included in recent presidential budgets. So they're saying, well, we're asking you for something, but we're only asking you for stuff that you yourself proposed, your highness. You, you know, right. we know you want to be dictator. We're just going to play along and let you be yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. It says officials who described the approach did so on condition of anonymity. So all of this is speculation, right? And half the time when I see a news story that says Boehner's going to cave. I mean, it, it's Wait, so, that news story has been happening for three days. Yeah, he's yeah, about yeah, to cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on the edge. You know, it's like uh, we know he's going to cave, but don't. It's not. It's not news. Yeah, but but some of it I wonder, right? Because I, I do think that Ted Cruz has helped Boehner grow a little bit of a spine. I say that as well. So. I think you know, I, the I existence of a Ted Cruz makes him think. Wait yeah. a minute, he's getting the he's getting popular. I want that popularity too. Maybe I can do, uh, you know, I'd I be mean, one percent of what Ted Cruz is. You know, because I'm not. I mean, something like that. Who knows? I mean, who knows? He inspired in in, in some maybe cynical ways where they're like, oh, he's popular. Yeah. Joel in the chat room is repeating something that I've seen uh, discussed on Facebook before. I'm not sure if he came up with it or not before, but he says that the Republicans are like Charlie Brown, yes. always thinking that Lucy will continue to yes. hold the football instead of you know, pulling it away at the last second. And that's what Obama and the Democrats have done time They've been and suckers forever against. against Democrats. Yeah. And, and uh, re- Republicans are just too nice, I think. And you know, it goes back to that idea of not, well, they're not, not but, but they want well, they want they want they want they want to basically have people think that they are. I mean, it's mm, very important. No, it's very there's, important. There's some of that, but I think that there are some of them who just don't believe the depths of evil no, that don't. the Democrats are capable. Then they shouldn't be in power in politics in yeah. Washington. It's just it's that kind of naivety. Give me a break. We know the evil that's there. They don't know, and they're in the, in the middle of the belly of the beast. Well, it's just stupid. And one person who doesn't seem to be unaware of this at all, who seems to really know yeah. what's going on is Ted Cruz. Yeah. Time and again, when you see him confront yeah. the hostile interviews that oh, he's yeah. had, 
bravo. No doubt about over it. Over and over and over. He he is aware he of the depths to which these people will yep. sink. He he's not naive about that. Whether he can carry everybody else along with him is another thing because he's got this cobbled together sort of faction of Republicans. Yes, he does. And they don't all want the same thing that he does. He keeps telling you the very principled stand that he has, which is that he won't vote for one penny of funding to Obamacare. Right. But a lot of his colleagues are not in that same boat. So I do see that there is going to be some sort of compromise. So, you know, the article goes on and talks about they voted about this to provide funds for that. And, you know, they're doing this piecemeal funding and some of the bills are getting funded, but most of them aren't. Harry Reid is saying, screw Americans. We want them to suffer as much as possible. Yes. Yes. And Obama seems to be taking joy in all the suffering. And there's all oh, the talk yeah. about the national monuments. and Schadenfreude. I mean, yeah. but, it just, is. but just to inflict as much pain as possible. And also to get his, off his scaremongering about the debt. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, economic. If, if, if they if, if they don't do exactly what I want by October seventeenth, the world economy is going to yes. collapse. Said yes. somebody in the Obama administration. I can't remember who. Somebody to do. And, 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 and then we said not a dime will be added to the debt if they raise a debt ceiling. This is just. I mean, and no one's there to say that's an absolute lie. Well, it's so funny, right? Because. It goes back to the sort of talking of a Bill Clinton saying it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. It's like if you increased my credit card limit tomorrow, yeah. that would not increase my debt, right. Right? right? But if you know that, for instance, I have for the foreseeable future automatic charges to my credit card that will increase my debt. Yes. And that I also have no intention of curbing my other spending in a way that would make those automatic right. charges not increase. Which Obama does not intend not, at all. I'm not going to pay it down or nothing whatever it is. Nothing will be cut. Right? Nothing no, will be nothing. No, no, no program. No, 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 nothing. Yeah. So it is literally true, right? And and Obama would say, well, it's literally true. It's literally true that increasing the debt limit won't increase the debt. But why in the hell increase the debt limit if you have no intention of increasing the debt and we know Obama has every intention of, of increasing the debt in fact Absolutely. I saw the article recently that said the debt is on track to have doubled under Obama doubled yes doubled yep i'm getting mad yes that's why i call it cartoon i'm wanting to quit he's a <laughs> he's a president i mean that's what he is he's a president um so, 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 so I, I tweeted out. Here, uh, I heard on uh, Steve writes. I heard on Beck that McConnell and Cornyn were are anything but nice. They humiliated Cruz and Republican. Yes, they go after. They're, they see Cruz as a as the main threat. Obama to them is one of their allies. I mean, he's you know he's a status, their status, and that's it. But this Cruz guy doesn't belong here. That that's why I'm you saying know. even Rand Paul, right? Yeah. Even Rand Paul is starting to really worry me when he came into the filibuster yeah, of Ted Cruz and immediately started talking about compromise. Yep. When he does this bill, yep. having spoken about the third party doctrine in the past, so therefore he has some knowledge that the third party doctrine is the issue, that bill does not proudly yep. pronounce I think that they want to eliminate the third party doctrine. They want to retain I think he forgot about the government's discretion to pass legislation to allow spying without a warrant. That story right now, the third party, they want to do it. it's, it's relatively hot. I think he used it to throw some red meat and got it. And we're like, oh, you know what? He mentioned it. That's really good. And then he does something like this. So meaning, Let's no, me, meaning he's not consistent yeah. with it. And if he's not consistent, he doesn't really believe 
in what he said about the third party doctrine. He doesn't really. So he'll use certain things that are perceived as being popular at the moment and use it. He's a politician through and through. And he's potentially dangerous like his father when it comes to foreign policy. And he really is. He went to Israel to visit in order to say, I visited Israel. Therefore, I'm not my father. Yeah, yeah but you probably are your father. My greatest hope is that Cruz has knocked out Paul as so. the leading contender in the Tea Party type candidate. I think Cruz movement. is the leader of the Tea Party in in, in Washington. I mean, one, one thing I know for sure is that Cruz's performance against those hostile interviews yes. on the on the Excellent. liberal networks it has been unbelievable. Excellent, Excellent. He, to see a politician light on his feet like that. Unflappable, yep. rational, and um, uh, he. Whenever when he notices the people are trying to get him, he starts laughing. Oh yeah, it's really because I love it. He he enjoys it. Like they're trying to get me, and I'm going to come back with something ten times better than what they have. And, so it's really know, good. He enjoys the fight. And, and again, they're enjoying the fight. He enjoys the fight. I thank him for doing it. Every time he posts something on Facebook, I click oh, yeah. like because I want to yeah. help him out. Um, you just do things to support these people, even if you yourself don't want to be immersed in it. Oftentimes, I don't have the stomach to read and listen to everything that's being done to Ted Cruz. Here and there, I listen to an interview and I go, yep, he's holding strong. And then I click those likes and I click those right. likes because he deserves support. I uh, donated to the, you know, the don't fund it thing and right. got, got my little Mark Levin book. And, you know, you, know, you do your stuff. We're, we're worried about what we don't know about him. But what we do know about him is pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's our concern, that we, what, exactly. what we don't know. We're worried about what we do know about Obama and what we don't know. But this guy, what we know so far, he's he's a very good politician. And he is a politician. You've got to keep that in mind as well. But but he's good. Oh, now, Rosemary here in the chat room, she was listening on the iPad, so she wasn't able to log in when we were talking about the NSA fire, which is sad, Rosemary, because mm. that was one of the high points of this show because we were happy about the NSA fire. It's an interesting um, question she has there, though. Because, she says, just because the buildings aren't completed doesn't mean they weren't well, in operation. Couldn't these fires oh, be evidence? So maybe That's the fires the were destroying already existing Who knows? evidence. That's it's possible. That's true. It's very possible. You know, these are snakes. I mean, the government is so inept. I bet a lot of this <laughs> data that they collect, they never even use right, anyway. Right, right. So it was just going to sit there and They're rot, indifferent probably. to the information as well, so to some extent. The, the worst is that they stole $2 billion, $2 billion from all of us to build this thing. And that might be down the drain. That's the worst part of it. Right. Let's, because I was starting to get upset, let's go ahead on to yeah, the people who are also upset at government in general. Who knows what in the world this poll means or why in the world the people who answered the poll the way they did feel the way they do. But the NBC Wall Street Journal poll says that 60% want to fire every member of Congress. Yes. 60% want to fire every member whoa, of Congress. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Where's the 80, 90%? Now, what I'd like to see is 60% want to fire every member of Congress, and then 40%, the ones who have heard of Ted Cruz, because right. a lot of people still haven't heard of Ted Cruz, yes. because they're in their little bubble, not looking at politics, Can I right? just uh, uh, read some that, that Steve but, wrote? But yeah, so, so I, just let me finish yeah. the thought. So 60% want to fire every member of Congress. The 40%, those who have heard of Ted Cruz, say fire everyone except for Ted Cruz and the other people who voted with him either in the House or in the Senate. Right. How about that? Right. <laughs> Holly in the chat room, going back to the NSA story, <laughs> says the the phrase should be, liar, liar, your spy facility is on fire. Because uh, Robert wrote, yeah. liar, liar, pants on fire for the NSA building. Yeah. For the two, two BO. But, but uh, 
but Steve writes something which is true. He goes, Cruz has an ease that that uh, that, that he's admiring. He's in his element. Uh, some of the ease that Obama projects, except Cruz is intelligent. And, that's and true. moral. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and if, if you know Obama, if, if you notice Obama, he tries to come off like he's confident. It's absolute fronting. I mean, he's truly fronting. He doesn't know his stuff. He's lying his they're, ass off every they're time. They're extorting a, a president. <laughs> yes, they're uh, 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 extorting uh, a president. Uh, you know, the way talk, really terrible cadence. Somebody, that, somebody must have coached him to talk about the extortion, and, and then he's like, "They're extorting." Uh, what was it I was supposed to say? They yes, were extor- exactly oh, a, right. a president. But they're extorting a president. I just want to say something also in addition to that about you know Democrats. They're always at a disadvantage because they have to lie, but Republicans outside of Ted Cruz won't or can't exploit that advantage because they don't tell the truth. You know, that's that's the point. I mean, uh, Cruz. Uh, he's as honest as any politician has been out there for. I, don't, I mean, I don't remember a politician being that honest. But he, but he, but he tells the truth as well. He tells yeah. the truth. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying outside yeah. of the GOP, he right. tells the truth, and they can't stand that because he happens to tell the truth about who? About them. He says, "I don't trust Democrats, and I don't trust Republicans," and they're like, "That's a shocker to them." When absolute Americans feel that way, and that's why he speaks for us in a lot of ways. He does represent us. So what do you think? Do you think this poll has any meaning whatsoever that 60% want to throw out everybody in Congress? Uh, I think that happens every so often. They throw, they, they throw that poll out there every so often and say, okay, we got to throw that 60% ones everyone kicked out now. Well, but here's the thing. It says this figure is the highest ever okay. in that's that question great to know. recorded well, that, in the Well, that's poll. great to know because and you, then, know, you and know the whole thing of pox on both your houses? Listen, this was, listen, this was listen, happening. Listen to this writing by NBC Wall Street Journal. I guess Let me see who actually posted this poll it is on NBCNews.com. Okay, listen to the way they do it. You know, and this is analyzing writing and, and taking writing classes helps you analyze this this yeah. stuff. So they say the 60% figure is the highest ever in that question recorded in the poll, comma, <laughs> registered in the wake of the government shutdown and the threat of the U.S. Yeah. defaulting on its debt for the first time in history, period. Yeah. So, so basically, they're trying to get you to realize, you know, it's like, oh, there's this juxtaposition of the timing of this, right? Yes. So they want you to interpret it that it means people are upset that the government is shut down. We're not. Yes, we're not. Um, and 17% and, of the government and, is shut down, they, just for the record, and 17%. They, and that you're so worried about the U.S. defaulting on its debt <laughs> right. because of the debt ceiling. Whereas, and, whereas and so, we want them to cut and cut and cut so, so they don't have to raise debt right, ceiling. Just, right, just cut. right, right, right. Um, That's then, what we want. I mean, so, so you know, the, the poll numbers don't mean this. The people who answer this poll don't intend this. But NBC Wall Street Journal is just juxtaposing this poll number with the fact that the poll figure was taken in the wake of the, the government shutdown. That's just the timing of the poll. It's not causation, right? And then also, uh, then they have the sentence right after it talks about this threat right. of the of the defaults in the go- global economy. It says, if the nation's debt limit is not increased one week from now, <laughs> Treasury Secretary Jack Lew warns, <laughs> warns that the entire global economy could be in peril. <laughs> Think about that. Oh, um, and, and and Jack Lew is, uh, you know, he's another, he's a, another lie hole of Obama's. He just lies. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. They all lie. So, so he's like, the world will end. Right, right. So, 
so they so they sandwich they sandwich in there. So, they, so, so, so here's the sixty percent number. Here's like, here, here here's all the stuff that the NBA and the excuse me NBC whoa, whoa. NBC not NBA sorry that the NBC and Wall Street Journal wants to yeah. throw out there and, and get you to think about. That must be the reason they're mad at Congress. Yeah, they're mad at Congress because Congress is I mean, daring to stand firm against Obama. Think about that. What, when they speak in our name. These rats, when they speak in our yeah, name, trying, the American right? people. But look, look at how this is written, right? American they, people want you out of office. But, That's but, what we want. But look at look at how this is written, yeah. right? The sixty percent figure. Then they talk about the <laughs> default and the shutdown and right. and the global economy's in peril. And then they go back to the poll. They say we could we continue to use this number as a way to sort of understand how much revulsion there is. <laughs> said Democratic pollster yes. Peter. Heart. Oh, who conducted the poll with the oh, Republican? What, right, you know, right, right, we, right. We now have a new high watermark. So, you know, they just they just want the people in Congress to play nice, you know, just open the government and increase the debt ceiling because, after all, increasing the debt ceiling doesn't increase the debt. Duh. You, right? got, you, got, you got the Democrats saying, and probably doing, you got probably saying Democrats doing. Who says both of them have blown it? Oh yeah. A, a Ted Cruz is what I'm saying, and the American people. I just. The, the writing and and the juxtaposition of the points that they want to hammer home is hysterical. Also, do you remember uh, um, uh, what's his name? Wallace, Chris Wallace, mm-hmm. uh, really going after Lou, and basically saying that's not true. You're you basically he's saying you're you're lying about certain things that Lou was trying to sell. Remember oh, last, right, last week? right, yeah. It was really good, and, and uh, Lou. Is so used to being caught in lies that he just smoothly said, "Well, Chris, you know," and he kept doing some some small crap. But it was about it was about the what blaming the Republicans about the Republicans uh, shutting down the government. What was it in particular? Was it was it something about not being able to prioritize the spending? Or? Maybe something something yeah. that absolutely is not true. In other words, and Chris Wallace called him on it because he's a little more honest than than the other guys, even though he's Democrat, liberal, whatever. Um. Steve says, Lou may be the slimiest guy he's seen besides Chuck Schumer. He is. He's a slime ball. Yeah, and, and Chuck, of course he was, Chuck so. Schumer was oh, mentioned in up Chuck one, of, one of the articles about politicians <clears throat> meeting to make a deal, and I was already he's discussed. I had to snake. stop reading. I had to stop reading. Such a snake. So, I, you know, what, what this poll means exactly, why fire every member of Congress. I think people think if you started all over again with a new Congress right now, you'd probably end up with a lot more Tea Party-minded folks. Yeah, that's for sure, at least. You yeah. would. No, 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 you would. And, and, and they're starting to challenge uh, incumbents. They're starting to challenge him, say, you know what, this guy's terrible. He's not what he said he was going to be. And again, uh, in terms of the election coming up next year, uh, you know, Mark Levin said yesterday about Lindsey Graham. He goes, Lindsey Graham is great in the last six months of his terms. He's, he's great. I mean, he has to remind people, I'm, uh, I, I'm doing this, and he advertised it loudly. Absolute hacks. We've got a couple minutes left. I don't know if anybody wants to chime in at 760-888-5817 before I'm going to shift at the top of the hour over to the Common Core topic. You had mentioned an article over at NRO that yeah. you were reading, Bosch. Did you yeah. want to say one thing about just, that quick before we just so quick, uh, hat close tip, up politics for now? Hat tip to Mark Levin. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Williamson, who's been a guest on Red Eye, writes for NRO. He's pretty good. And uh, he basically says something about... Uh, Face the microphone. It's in a piece called uh, More Conservative, Less Republican. We're not conservatives. We're objectivists. But this is pretty interesting here. He goes, when it comes to the policy opinions of American voters, there have been three peak years for conservatism, 1952, 1980, and... Right now, according to Professor James A. Stimson, 
whose decades-long quote-unquote policy mood uh, projects, uh, a, sorry, policy mood project tracks the changing opinions of the U.S. electorate. Americans have grown more conservative. So basically, he said Americans have grown more conservative in the last few years. And then people question, well, why the hell was Obama voted in? And the point, the gist of it is that the, you know, the, that, that seeming paradox may be explained in part by the fact that the American public's increasingly quote-unquote conservative views are not associated with an increased sense of identification with the Republican Party. Republicans are not perceived as most Americans who are right-leaning as right-leaning Right, and so, and so right now there There's is – There's a vacuum. Well, but actually the reason I think for the resurgence now – see, I think the prior resurgences of conservatism, and I'm just kind of drawing off of what you've mm-hmm. just read, the prior resurgences could be identified with the fact that the GOP itself leaned right. more conservative. Right. Now the GOP is still full of garbage, yep. and I agree with the GOP reboot thing. Yes. That it, it, at, it best, needs, at best, it needs a reboot, right? But um, or not, not at best, it, at least it needs yeah. a reboot. But the other thing is that people think, well, now even if we have no home in the GOP, that the Tea Party itself might be a home for conservatives. And you know, again, it goes back to this idea of someone like Ted Cruz giving emotional, spiritual fuel to people who would be politically active if they saw other people fighting the good fight and doing the inspiring type of work that he's doing, keeping up the battle in politics is tiring and depressing. You don't want to do it. But when you see a Ted Cruz, it's a lot more possible. No, the uh, GOP, it's a status party now. It's in bed. They've thrown in with Democrats, and Americans see this, and they're sick of it. And, you know, usually the right, usually people, voters on the right are far more, you're not usually, far more principled when they go to vote. They actually believe where the Democrats vote for any hack, which which one's a D? Go for it. Right. They're hacks, and uh, at least uh, which is why I think a lot of principled voters did not show up for who? For Romney? For the piece of crap Romney? Romney care? Uh, okay, so <laughs> I want to I want to shift focus here if we can. We got we are at the top of the hour, and this is Don't Let It Go Unheard. Amy Peacock here, cartoonist Bosch Faustin also hanging here at the studio. We're going to shift the focus of the discussion now to the common core. No, I didn't really false advertise, but I don't think I I did want to talk about the common core the entire show anyway. But we want to continue our coverage now, and we want to look at this. Is the common core just kind of the latest thing that the federal government is sort of pushing out there, not such a big deal, or is it really an uncommon danger? The original name was Communist Core, and they said, you've got to cut that off, so just Common Core. I mean, that was the original name. So Common Core, is it an uncommon danger? And I have a series of links over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com under the program notes for today's show that you can check it out. If you do want to call in and talk about your thoughts on the Common Core, you can do so, 760-888-5817. At the half point of this hour, I will be joined by Dr. C. Bradley Thompson of Clemson University. He himself is in favor, as I am, of the complete abolition of government schools. Yes, that's abolition, not reform. Let's not, oh, let's make the government schools better, or let's have a little competition, and that'll make the government schools better. No, let's completely abolish the government schools, and I agree with Dr. Thompson on that. So let's talk a little bit about what my context is. I believe that government has no proper role in education. Government should have no role whatsoever in education. Now, why is that? I do not believe there is a right to education. I think the government's job is to protect our rights, and protecting rights 
is leaving people free to act to achieve values. And education is just one of those values. You know when the Declaration of Independence says the right to the pursuit of happiness? It is the right to the pursuit. It's not the right to be given education, so-called free of charge, which just means thanks to the stealing that the government does on your behalf from taxpayers. I do think, of course, that parents have a responsibility to properly educate their children. Part of bringing a human being into the world is preparing that human being for an adult independent existence, part of which is a proper education. And ironically, or not even ironically, predictably, the government's efforts in being involved in education is the biggest stumbling block in parents properly educating their kids. Parents now are taxed exorbitant amounts to pay for government schools that at best won't do the kids very much good and at worst will positively harm their cognitive development. And the Common Core is no exception here. So for me, it's not an issue of content. It's not an issue of, oh, well, this particular curriculum is going to indoctrinate them with liberal communist ideas or it's going to you know, cripple their thinking in a particular way. I do not think government should be involved at all, including these standards. And, and then if you say, oh, well, you know, th- these are just standards and, and they're voluntary and the states are adopting them voluntarily. I don't think the state government should be involved in it. I don't think the local government, I don't care how local the government is, gone. Um, on the other hand, I agree with the people who have said, look, this new common core represents a different sort of threat than we've had in the past because you are increasing federal control over education and having that more centralized, having parents less able to give any sort of feedback or get changes in the curriculum that they want is what they are doing here. So uh, you're pointing out something in the chat room. What Uh, is it, Bosch? Holly writes something really, really good. She says, even if the Common Core had excellent standards, and I agreed with everything they did. It is not a function of government, good or bad. That's the entire issue. That is a huge... Excellent. I mean, that's the fundamental issue here, is that government should no not place. be involved in education. It should have no role at all. Uh, you know, suppose that some parents are devo- defaulting on their obligation, because I do believe parents have an obligation to provide a proper education to the children. What if parents default on that? The answer then is private charitable organizations, not theft by government stealing from some people to pay for so-called free education for other people. So that being said, I do want to talk some about the content of the Common Core because practically speaking, we're not going to achieve the abolition of government schools anytime soon. And as I said, the fact that government at all levels is involved in education is probably right now the biggest stumbling block towards getting a proper education, that along with all the other theft that government does. Because government is making you less productive, and to the extent that you are productive, it is stealing the fruits of your productivity and it is making you less and less able to provide a proper education for your children as you choose and therefore forcing you to bring your children to the government schools, get indoctrinated there, et cetera. So practically speaking, you need to know something about the Common Core and decide how in the world you will deal with it. 
And really the big thing that I want to tell you today, just based on what I'm looking at, I think the most crucial thing for you to do, if you have a limited budget, limited resources, you have a child, keep the kid out of government schools at the beginning of their educational career. Send them to Montessori, something that will teach them to work independently, to engage with either working materials or reading text or anything else independently as individuals at the very beginning of their education. And then suppose you run out of money, the government has beat you down and all you can do is afford to send to a government school. Send them to the quote-unquote best one that you can after that, but at least least keep them home through kindergarten or first grade, maybe a, a bit longer if you can do it. Don't send them there if you can. And let me read to you why. I've got these links over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. I am linking to the core standards themselves. And I'll tell you what jumped out at me like a red flag and just made me super mad when I was reading it. Now, first of all, if you go into the standards themselves and you look at the reading ones, and they they divide English language arts into a bunch of little sections. And one of them is reading, colon, and then it says literature. And then if you click on that, it's got all the different grade levels. And then if you go to kindergarten, now, this is the thing, all of these different levels, if you click on it, it's a bunch of platitudes, right? So if you read the first platitude at the kindergarten course standards, you know, description here, it says that the student, quote, with prompting and support will ask and answer questions about key details in a text. Okay, that sounds harmless, right? But. If you go down, and this is, I see this only in the in the kindergarten stand, standards. By the time you go to grade one, you don't see this anymore. But at the bottom of that page, which is the kindergarten standards for reading literature, it says, actively engage in group reading activities yeah. with purpose and understanding. Yep. Actively engage in group reading. What the, Undec- hell, what the hell is a group reading activity? Undercut their individuality from the outset. Crack yeah. them. Crack their skull then and there. Get it in their head, literally. This, you are part of the group. You're an important part of the group. You're, you're, you know, BS, but what I'm saying is you're, you are you're part of the You're just another brick in the wall. I That's mean, this it. is... <laughs> exactly. It's Pink Floyd come to life. It really is. is what it is. It, it is. So at the very beginning in kindergarten, when the standards start, put them in groups. Yep. Put them in groups. Exactly. Put them in groups. First Re- step. Reading, which is knock out their individuality. You know, math is math is of course also crucial, and I'm sure the math. I haven't even looked at the math. I'm oh. sure math is like group activities oh, no at the wazoo as well. But reading is so fundamental for thinking and cognition. It is a it's the foundation. They have to learn how to read, and reading is an individual activity. It is you, the individual with your mind engaging with the words on the page, realizing that those words stand for concepts and understanding the sentences, the principles, et cetera. Deanna writes here about uh, the fact that ed- educators think it, it's different and good Common Core. This is – how old is Common Core if you take it fundamentally? This is ancient. I mean, this is – Well, what, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how they describe Common uh, it, it Core in relation they, no, to the others. It doesn't matter how they describe it. Yeah. What I'm saying yeah. is this is collectivist. This is, uh, this is you know, totalitarian. Education. I mean, really, is fundamentally is what it is. Yeah. So this is as as old as can be, but they're always got to put a new face on totalitarianism because the new face gets people. You know, this is different because we haven't heard about it before. That's why Obamacare to them is it something new. No, this is yeah. this is old crap. So at to the, us, it's new. At Americans. The, at, at the bare minimum, 
no sending your kids to a government kindergarten. They will throw them in groups. Yep. They're going to get their first reading instruction, you know, if they don't really read by kindergarten. Many of your kids will read by kindergarten anyway, but they're going to be taught from the beginning that reading is this group activity. So let me skip to another thing that just made my skin crawl. And again, I'm going to kindergarten because it, it's so important. How do, how are they introduced to these fundamental skills at the very beginning? And it's going to, I think, you know, color their entire learning experience. They have this other section under the English language arts standards, and they call it speaking and listening. In kindergarten, this is the standard for speaking and listening in kindergarten. It says, participate, actually, let me give you the headline. The headline is comprehension and collaboration. <laughs> Throw collaboration in there exactly. right at the beginning, right? First thing, participate in collaborative conversations with diverse partners. Diverse partners, got to have diverse partners. About Diverse partners. Diverse partners about kindergarten topics and texts. And who are you going to have these conversations with? It says, with peers and adults in small and larger groups. Now, if you had one-on-one -on -one conversations, even, that would be a little bit better. But no, with yeah. peers and adults in small and larger groups. Yeah. Throw them in groups. Throw them in groups. There was that quote. I no just, I, I, It was just brought to my mind, and it was from Ominous Parallels. Leonard Peikoff quotes it, where Hitler talks about he always wants to put people in groups Speak to them as the mass yeah. because then you can really indoctrinate right. them better. I, I I don't have the the exact language. Maybe somebody in the in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio can pull it up. But the whole idea is get them in the group, make them. I mean, you know, think about this. I don't care what your child's cognitive status is with respect to anybody else. Suppose your child is brighter than everybody else. He's going to be right. made to feel that he's a freak yes. because Absolutely right. he, he might even be smarter than the teacher for those. Undercut, I mean, and I, I wouldn't undercut be his, his individuality, his intelligence, absolutely. Thrown in, thrown in the group, right? If they want, he, they if, want him to be common, not if, uncommon. If, if his you know, contribution to the so-called collaborative conversation isn't like everybody else's, he's going to be made to feel like a freak. Suppose your child is having a little bit of a challenge understanding a certain thing here or there or you know engaging in a certain type of reasoning during conversation. I don't know what they're supposed to be doing at kindergarten. That's a whole nother story by the way. The the demands for certain types of reasoning and evaluation of very young kids is wrong as well. But there there's a there's a whole different topic to talk about there. But you know, suppose you're a little bit behind your peers. Right. You feel self-conscious. You feel worthless, yes. right? So it's not individualized. You're throwing the group. I think whether you're ahead or suppose that you're exactly right along with the group. Suppose you have a normal ability, but your teacher, either on purpose or through ineptitude, makes you feel abnormal by steering the conversation certain ways or giving you certain responses or tell you could be completely normal and you know so. It, do, it doesn't matter where you are in terms of cognitive ability or how you would relate to the material or whatever. You could be made to feel like a freak, and it could destroy your whole development. They're actually getting blatant now. Look at uh, Deanna writes. Uh, Deanna writes, I just came from a higher edu education conference that was themed, quote, the power of the collective. Oh, my God, that is Unquote. Sick. That is sick, but this is exactly what it is. And some of them are not going to hide it. 
And then you have, uh, again, uh, we, we had talked about last, uh, last week, but Bill Ayers, terrorist, uh, professor, quote-unquote, professor terrorist Bill Ayers, is also part of this. He's behind the scenes. Working and also, so so mentioned here that Bill Gates is involved. Also, the idiot, the moral idiot, at least. Yeah. So you know, this idea that the first thing is having collaborative conversations in groups, and that's the first exposure that you're going to have. It's going to teach right. you speaking and listening, explaining. Again, individuality, no good. That's the gist of it. Collectivism, good. Individuality, don't worry about it. You're not that important. You're only important when you're with others. Okay? You got that? And they put it in your head every single day. So, you know, just in terms of content, and again, the, the main point is not the content of these particular standards. The main point is that government needs to be out of education entirely. But in the case that you, because our government is stealing so much from us and making us less productive... People are saying, come, <laughs> come sigh with Amy and Bosch. Because, because government's says, making you less productive, making you less the able to the buy show. the education. That, that, that's the recommendation for new name of the show. Yeah. Come sigh with Amy and Bosch. Come sigh with Amy <laughs> and the Bosch. <laughs> that's funny. Or, I'm the one who sighs all the time. Do, you, do you sigh? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I, I probably will make you sigh. <sighs> I don't know. It, I just it, yawn sighed. I don't know. It, it, it's contagious, I think, probably. But. My point Come is to, with me. to try to try and to try and help listeners avoid the worst of the damage that the Common Core could do to your kids. Keep them out of government schools. At least try to do it through first or second grade. Get a firm foundation of your kids learning on their own, <laughs> not in groups. They say I grunt, you sigh. <laughs> But that song, you know, the Frank Sinatra comes, sigh with me. You know the song? Come fly, mm. Oh, come fly with me. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's You know what? I should sing a theme song. Can you sing that for me? We'll record me. it. Yeah, that's it. Let's we'll, do it. We'll, we'll play a little MP3 each time I'm <laughs> Thanks, sighing. Thanks, Devin, for the, uh, I, for I the think, suggestion. You know, this is it. This is it. Tammy Bruce has the brain explosions and I sigh. <laughs> that's right. No, but you read this sometimes and you try to, you try to keep it cool, but it's just so... So evil, a lot of stuff that's going on, and it's coming to us as good, which is the worst kind of evil. It's pretty sick. Seven two five two one in the chat room says that they in the chat room listeners they're sighing with me if I can only hear. I would think that if you didn't have the responsibility of also coming up with what the next thing is to say on the show, you would sigh more. Yeah. It's it's also when I come at the end of the thought that I I sigh as well. Anyway, so this, this is my digging so far. I'm going to dig more into these standards and keep reading these standards, and I will tell you more. I guess the other bit of advice that I have, and, and this is what I think I would tell any parent who now has a child that's going to be going through all of school, all of education in the years coming up, I would say perhaps plan on your child never going to college or only going to a college that – will not require the normal standardized testing because we have yet to see what the content that will be tested in the standardized tests are. And as we'll see here in a moment, because I'm going to talk to you about what I learned from the Cato debate on the Common Core, there's not particular content really prescribed in the Core. There are certain texts that have been recommended as examples 
of the type of complexity that they recommended each grade. But supposedly all they're saying is at these different grades, we want you to be able to do increasingly difficult things to texts of increasing complexity. That is the biggest platitude ever. Mm. And the devil is in the details, right? The devil is in figuring out what those texts are going to be, which exactly analysis you're going to be doing of them. And then, like I said, the, the biggest devil in the biggest detail is the fact that you're throwing the very beginning readers yes. into groups as the first example of their reading experience. The, you know, the, the informational balance of text with the literary, that's horrible too, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But the biggest thing is these standardized tests are going to be geared to the common core. The tests that are going to be required for kids to go to most colleges in the United States, those are going to be geared to test the Common Core. So even if your kid can escape the Common Core entirely, he or she would be tested according to those standards. And you might as well just give up on college. I would say get a smart kid, send them to the Ruby on Rails or whatever that programming boot camp is called, and just have them go to work or have them just go. Have them find a passion. I mean, have a passion to stick to it and go. Go work. You're right. I mean, people will do what they do, but this is, uh, you'll, you'll be less corrupt, let's say. I mean, I don't know. Doctor, more doctor, people need to be innocent. More people need to be innocent of college. And... Dr. Retart in the chat room is saying, so we have set standards for the students' education, but we can't set performance standards for the teachers. You know, this is the thing. They think that this Common Core is going to show what how the teachers are performing, but as far as I can tell, the teachers are going to be completely unprepared and at sea to try to implement this. Especially and if so, they're decent human beings, uh, yeah. conscientious, especially. And, and so if there are particular texts that are tested on the standardized tests uh, that are recommended in the Common Core, even though the Common Core says we don't require any particular texts, the incapable or lazy or just not intelligent enough teachers they are going to just default to the recommended text, to the example texts, all of which look horrible and boring, like it's going to make kids not want to read yes. at all. So, which could be the which could be the, the part yeah. of it? So there will be better teachers who will be able to survive and give their kids a decent education, even in the environment of the Common Core. But insofar as there are well-meaning teachers in kindergarten who are nonetheless ignorant, and then they start throwing them in groups horrible. Um, basically, there's no hope. So I would say, yeah, at least keep them out through first or second grade. And then you'll also, by that time, be able to see how the Common Core is being implemented in your particular state or if it's being implemented. A lot of states won't even really implement it, even though they promise to. Yeah. I was looking at California just recently passed their piece of legislation where they said, you know, we're going to implement the Common Core, we're going to start testing. And they say, well, we're going to start testing, standardized testing, in the 2014-2015 school year if we're ready to do it. Right. So you, you laugh, right, because it's government. And just like the Obamacare website wasn't up and running right. properly, they're not going to have their standardized test. And, right. and, and how, how do you test for this level I mean, of complexity of assigned material that they don't even know what the material is supposed to be. I have no idea. If you think about it, it's not about the details. It's not about getting the job done. It's about control, 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 control in a very vague way. That's why if we get it up and running, you know, it doesn't matter. Eventually we will. And it's all about the end game control. 
So we don't care about these fine details. Obamacare signing up, this being ready, when, it, when they say it's going to be ready, they don't give a damn right. about future control, period. So they don't give a damn about any quality. Well, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if the, you know, and again, this is an issue of content versus the overall main point, which is that government should not be involved in school at all. Government's role is not to educate at all. It's supposed to protect our rights. There's no right to education. People should have the right to pursue an education freely, which they don't right now, mostly because of government. So that being said, when you look at this content, I can imagine the people, you know, Bill Ayers probably had some involvement in this through that yes. his association with that organization called Achieve yes. Incorporated. Yes. Achieve Incorporated cited on the it's Common right, Core Standards website. Sorry, Obama and Ayers also ran a school yeah. in, in Chicago for a number of years. Yeah. They did. Yeah. They so I would not be surprised if these people are thinking in the background, you know, let's put this standard out there and I don't really care What's in the standard yes. from grade one through grade 12? So long as in kindergarten, we throw them that in groups sense. and make them learn reading yes. and speaking and listening collaboratively yes. in groups. Once they've done that, yes. they have got the kids into groupthink and you're done. And then it's, it's make it up as you go along. The whole point is to crack their skulls from day one. Get them into that collective mindset. And then that's it. I think, yeah. No government kindergarten. That's it. Just keep them out, keep them out, keep them out. And once they have a foundation and they can think for themselves to a large degree, then they can withstand it. And and like I said, also at that point, you can see how your particular state is implementing the Common Core. And you need to, if you're aware of this issue, keep in mind, if you decide you're going to look at something like freedominthe50states.org and figure out what state you want to live in, they might not be as attuned to the implementation of the Common Core as a key issue where you're making your decision. Where do you want to live in the United States? You want to live in a place that doesn't indoctrinate your kid, doesn't cripple their ability to think properly when you know, you're know you a parent and, you, and your job is to educate them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sighing again. I'm, I'm sorry about that. We don't, we don't have that many <laughs> you, minutes. You do sigh often. That's, that, that, that's true. Well, and and the more depressing the news yeah. is, the more I sigh. But that's the reaction sometimes. You got to pause and just take it in. It's like, my, this is evil. Let me, in the few minutes before C. Bradley Thompson joins us, talk a little bit about Cato Institute. I spoke last week about this great debate, and I hadn't had the chance to look at it yet. This is an event that was put on October third by the Cato Institute, Common Core, the Great Debate. And there were in the debate two, you know, critics of the Common Core and then two people who were supporting it to a greater or less extent. Uh, Participants were Neil McCluskey. He's the associate director of the Center for Educational Freedom at Cato. And also Emmett McGrordy. He's the executive director of the Preserve Innocence Project and also the American Principles Project Um, Then on supporting the Common Core, you had Chester Finn. He's the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. And Mike Petrelli, he's the executive vice president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. So let me just give you my thoughts on the debate overall. The biggest, biggest, biggest critique that I had is that nobody questioned the premise, which was it was stated explicitly by this guy, Michael Petrilli. Okay, this guy, Michael Petrilli, said explicitly, he says, look, why are we here? 
you know, why are we talking about this? He says, so long as we believe it is proper to tax everyone in order to pay for education and that it is, and he says, you believe it's in your interest to pay for the education of kids you never know, you'll never meet, as long as we believe that, then we want to have accountability for how our tax dollars are spent. And all the Common Core does is provide that accountability. Right. And and the way they described it was, you know, when they had these earlier federal trial balloons of, of the federal government taking more and more control of, over education, they had this No Child Left Behind program. Hmm. And as it's described by Petrilli and also uh, Chester Finn, they said, well, what that did is it set a minimum bar and basically saying that they were going to test students in the 50 states as to whether they were able to read at a certain minimum level, maybe do some math at a certain minimum level. No child left behind. Their whole concern is that no child was really, really bad off. And as if you read C. Bradley Thompson's article, I linked to it on my blog over there, don'tletitgo.com. It was uh, discussing uh, emancipation in education in the objective standard, uh, I think about a year ago. I have the link over at my blog. He gave a statistic in there that in some states, only 70% could read at this minimum level, which means that 25% of these people going through the government schools can't even read at this bare minimum level that No Child Left Behind was testing for, right? So the thinking behind these people, are, you know, some of them are well-meaning. They just want to reform government schools. They say, well, we've got to improve it, right? And what is their point? They want to increase the standard. They say, don't just set a minimum. Why don't we set some aspirational goals? Not everyone is going to be able to meet them. But why don't we just have higher and higher standards? And then maybe some of them are going to go ahead and meet those standards. So that that's their thought. That's that's what they think they're doing with the Common Core. And a lot of the discussion in the debate at Cato was about the fact that, yes, the federal government really is involved. Even though you say it's voluntary, mm-hmm. it was tied to the race to the top dollars. It was tied to no child left behind waivers. Of course, and yeah. then the question is, you know, did the states sign on before they saw the final standards or not? They probably signed on when they saw the final standards. What I can tell you is if they saw the final standards, they probably couldn't even read <laughs> completely the final standards. Which so, was the point. Yeah, you know, part of the problem with the standards, and I, I talked about this last week, is I think that they commit the fallacy that Leonard used to talk about, Leonard Peikoff would talk about in his introduction to logic course. He called it prestige jargon, and I couldn't remember the the name of the fallacy. It's just an example of, or a variation of, the appeal to authority fallacy. And the idea is if I use enough sophisticated jargon, which I'm sure Deanna in the chat room, she said she had gone to an education conference, I'm sure she is steeped in this jargon, right? Maybe she understands the jargon. I maybe need to hire Deanna to help me read (laughs) the standards so I can try to understand if there's anything to them at all. But you look at these, your mind glazes over, and you're supposed to be so impressed yes. with the standards and the jargon used, intimidated. Yeah. That's right. You know that you're you're a governor of a state, you're a legislator in a state. You say, okay. oh yeah, that's They're great. Good. What we're going to get some money? Yeah. We can get out of this stupid no child left behind program, yeah. and that makes us just look bad because we can't make kids read. Woohoo! Yeah, without thought. Yes. Yeah. If we implement the standards, 
and right. they tell us that they don't care if a child, you know, any particular percentage of child falls below a certain thing. Really, they just want to get their meat hooks in the door. That's really what they want. It's not about education. Yeah. It's like Obamacare is not about health care. It's about government control. Right. That's it. Right. You know. So we do, I think, here have on the line Dr. C. Bradley Thompson. I'm going to see if I'm right. Hi, Amy. Is Dr. Thompson? Oh, hi. You're there. That's excellent. Thank you yes. for joining us today. So I have, in the first half of this hour, I don't know if you've uh, been able to listen or, or I thank you for joining me, by the way, because I know you're extremely busy. So thank you for coming to talk about this. But I've been talking about the content issues of the Common Core. And in essence, in, in the digging that I've done so far, there's not a lot of content that's specified in the standards from first all the way up through 12th grade on on the reading end. But the thing that jumped out at me is that at the very beginning in kindergarten, the Common Core standards talk about throwing the kids in groups, group reading exercises, group what they call collaborative speaking that teaches them to speak and listen to diverse peers and this kind of thing. And I think that's probably where a lot of the damage of the core content-wise would be done. And you know, we we've talked about the fact that there's a content issue and that there's a government involvement in education issue, but content-wise, that was really what I was railing on in the first half hour or so. Do you agree with me that you know, throwing kids into collective groups for learning basic reading skills is probably a bad idea? I do agree with you entirely. And and you're also right to say that these common core standards uh, don't at this point have very much content associated with them. They they are standards rather than any kind of of curricula and and or reading lists. And so if you look at at the standards, though, they they are the sort of the most general sort of skills based uh, standards imaginable. And they were first. Um, advocated by by their proponents as being this um, serious upgrade in the quality of education in the United States, which is ludicrous. I mean, first, that would suggest that that the education standards in this country uh, are essentially infantile to begin with. And secondly, these these standards are are really no uh, they're they're no standards at all. They're just skills based. There's no knowledge involved in them at all. And the people who put them together, it's very interesting. It's a coalition of both the left and the right. So these standards were put together by people like Linda Darling Hammond at Stanford University, uh, who is one of America's leading left wing um, uh, education professors, who has had association with Bill Ayers. Mm-hmm. And, and the radical left. And so in th- I'm not at all surprised that she would be advocating and, and has probably had now included in these common core standards this kind of progressive education which um, advocates groupthink uh, over individual thinking. Uh, and that kind of stuff has been going on in progressive education now for several generations. But you've also got, interestingly, conservatives or neoconservatives like Chester Finn uh, at the Fordham Foundation who... Um, who advocate for the Common Core standards because they include the reading of the Declaration of Independence. And, right, he kept, and he kept saying that in the debate, right? He kept saying that in the debate. Well, it includes our founding documents. Those are informational texts, so you should be happy, right? It, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually rather pathetic uh, if America's leading education so-called experts 
think this is going to somehow save American education. I mean, these standards uh, are, from my taste, as about as low as you can get and about as vague as you can get, um, and, which only sort of highlights how bad things really are uh, at this point. The more interesting and more important issue, though, is these standards will only be just standards for uh, another year or two. And eventually those standards will be filled in with curricula uh, and, and with reading lists. And if any conservative or neoconservative who thinks they're going to control what is actually being taught in the government schools and how it's being taught, they are living in a fantasy world. The left, as it does with everything, will be all over this uh, within a few years. They will completely control uh, the curricula of the common uh, of the Common Core um, in in short order. And so, what we've essentially done then is have 50 different a set of standards and now have the whole thing controlled uh, in a centralized education system from the top down, and that's and that will that system will be controlled by the left. You know, you said uh, basically it's all going to be centralized. One of the things that I saw in that Cato debate, and you and I talked about that event that they had at Cato, the great debate, Mm -hmm. one thing that Chester Finn was talking about there is, well, you know, there is no particular set of required texts. Each state can fill in for themselves, and actually teachers will have, I guess, latitude to fill in for themselves what the texts are actually going to be. How could that work, though, if you have – you know, people who were involved directly in the development of the Common Core Standards now working for, I think it's the Educational Testing Service, you know, the people who put together the SAT and the the standardized test for admission to college. Yeah, uh, well, first, even if that were true, right, even if it were true that the the states and and individual school districts still had the freedom uh, to control the content, that's still bad. Because the content, as it currently exists in states and in the local in local school districts, is an abomination, and it's an abomination because the curricula uh, and what is being taught and how it's being taught in America's government schools is controlled almost entirely by the so-called ed schools, and the ed schools only teach one thing: progressive education. Right. Right. So, but then on the other hand. Uh, this really will be, in the end, a top-down, centralized uh, curriculum because, I mean, whoever controls the tests will ultimately control what's being taught. And um, with the Common Core uh, standards, the tests are going to be set by by the national government. Uh, the tests are going to be set – I mean – the the man – let's put it this way – the man who first devised the Common Core standards – uh, has just become the president of of uh, the or, the organization that writes the SAT and the ACT. Right, right, yeah. Right. I can't I can't so, remember his name, Dave something or the other, but yeah. Dave Col- Dave, Dave Coleman. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, so he's controlling. He's now running education testing services, uh, the so-called College Board, and when he, he, his organization, when they set the test. Right, the the SAT and the ACT. That means that basically the states and school districts in America will uh, change their their curriculum to meet those uh, to meet those tests. Ergo, you've got a a national uh, curriculum being established by the national government. Right, right. And then there's also this issue of well. 
the Common Core doesn't prescribe particular texts, there's this issue of the percentage of the text that they read being classic literature versus informational text. And as I understand it, they they start out saying that the kids have to read a so-called 50-50 balance between literature and informational text, which I think is way too high on the informational side. Even if you read the founding documents, that's not going to cut it, you know, when you've got pages and pages of classic literature to balance out, right? And then um, it goes up from there. So by the time they're in 11th, 12th grade, they're supposed to be reading 70% informational text. And, and, you know, the answer of these Chester Finn people are just, well, uh, all that informational text doesn't just have to be in literature. But, you know, I think the way that things work in school is that a lot of the bulk of the informational text is going to have to be in your literature class, and that's pretty gross. It is, and the question is, how are they defining informational texts? Well, they're they're defining informational texts in part as government reports and bulletins, right? Imagine yeah. your typical American 16-year-old boy reading a report or a bulletin from the Department of Energy, right? I mean, it's insane. I mean, you know, government reports are by definition – uh, excruciatingly uh, boring, uh, and I mean, no, nobody in their right mind would really, uh, for pleasure, want to read a gover- government report or bulletin. Uh, they also include as informational literature restaurant menus. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so <laughs> complete, the, the complete with thing, calorie count, calorie count, and salt count if you're it, in New York, right? It, it, yeah. yeah, exactly. The whole thing, I mean, the whole thing really is just farcical. So, so that's the content issue, right? And and one yeah. of the things that you know, the the focus of this show is 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 Common Core actually an uncommon danger, or is it just kind of more of the same of what we've had? One of the things that you and I talked about in in preparing to do this interview was the uh, the issue of shifting more power and control to the federal government. This is a huge shift, right? This is not just sort of a little incremental change on what we've saw, seen under George Bush, for instance, right? Right. I mean, this is the culmination. This is the mothership of a long-term trend that's been taking place in American education uh, going back at least until 1979 uh, with the creation of the Federal Department of Education. And then you had through the Reagan uh, and first Bush administrations uh, an attempt to centralize education. Um, uh, neoconservatives, for instance, like Bill Bennett uh, in his Nation at Risk report, he, I mean, he, in many ways, that's the beginning, was during the Reagan administration of this attempt to create national standards. And then during the first Bush administration, Lynn Cheney with her national history standards, uh, they're really the forerunners uh, of, of Common Core. So what's really interesting is that in many ways, uh, this idea of the Common Core and a national curriculum comes from conservatives uh, who who think, you know, in many ways, um, uh, in my own life, uh, in the education, the homeschool education of my own children, um, my kids get more of a kind of a classical uh, curriculum, which is what these conservatives advocate. They just think that they can use the coercive power of the national government to force it on all children. Um, but of course, as with the national history standards during the 1990s, you know, conservatives can never quite get it right. They end up always letting the left dictate what those standards are, which is precisely what happened 
uh, with the National History Standards, Lynn Cheney, um, Dick Cheney's wife, uh, who was in charge of the National History Standards, she turned over the whole task of creating these standards to a, a far left-wing Marxist historian, Gary Nash. Uh, oh, God, that is these, disgusting. Yeah, it, it was, and... and and it turns out when they when they uh, um, it was the national history standards were you know turned turned away by the Senate ninety nine to one or something like that and um, so they were crushed but back again come conservatives like Chester Finn at the Fordham Foundation pushing national standards uh, thinking that somehow they're going to from the top down improve the quality of education in America and it's 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 a bad curriculum to the extent that they have one, and it's doubly, triply bad that it's coming from the top down. And I think, as you know, based on our last uh, our last interview, um, I am not a reformer. Uh, all of these people, uh, all of these conservatives, they are reformers. I am not a reformer. I am an abolitionist. I do not mm-hmm. believe in reforming the government school system. To reform the government school system is to save and thereby to perpetuate the government school system. I'm about abolishing it. So I will do nothing to reform the current school system. No, exactly. And this idea that, oh, well, we're just going to make it better. No child left behind. The standards weren't just high enough. We just, you know, we just want to make higher standards is a bunch of garbage. Now, interestingly, Chester Finn on in that Cato event I think he's been a little chagrined now because, you know, I think he was originally a supporter of the Common Core. And, you know, it does make sense that if you're going to have a curriculum, you might start with the English language arts, as they call it, and and the math, and then go on to what they're calling, you know, well, science is fine, but social science, history, whatever. Now that those standards are starting to be fleshed out, the science and the social science, he, Chester Finn, thinks that those are really bad. But he still likes right. the idea of the Common Core overall. It's a little stealth, right? Because they got these 45 or 46, however many states, to sign on when all they had to look at was the English language arts and the math. They're, I think, too stupid to know what's going on in the English language arts. And also, the English language arts is written in such vague language and, yeah. you know, obfuscatory language that who can understand it? But then. You know, now they get in through the back door the science and the social studies stuff, and supposedly that's even worse. Uh, One can well imagine that it will be considerably worse. Uh, And I think your audience also needs to know that uh, 45 states originally signed on to Common Core uh, a few years ago precisely because they were bribed bribed by the federal government with uh, almost $4.5 billion in Obama's race to the top um, academic, uh, stimulus money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, at a time when, when states were in dire financial straits, uh, they much too quickly and much too easily were seduced um, by all of this this money that they were able to get by signing on. But what's happening now is that many of these states – uh, have you know finally realized what the Common Core is really all about uh, and how it's going to affect their students. And by the way, they predict that if Common Core is accepted um, by all the states uh, in America, that 
states will be saddled with $16 billion uh, to implement uh, the Common Core. I mean, just the testing mechanisms alone, because the testing is going to be done, uh, it's computerized testing. Uh, and guess what? Uh, the Common Core was first originally funded by the Gates Foundation, the Bill and mm-hmm, Melinda Gates mm-hmm. Foundation. Uh, and yeah. who stands to gain the most from these computerized tests? It turns out it's Microsoft. So, I mean, this is a classic example of uh, 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 what we sometimes call jobbery um, or uh, the aristocracy of pull, uh, put it in objectivist terms. Um, you know, private industries manipulating government um, to uh, for their own advantage. Right. Now, isn't this just an inevitable outgrowth of a basic premise that really went unquestioned during that Cato great debate? The, the other guy who was at the debate, I forget his name right now, Petrelli or something, um, he, he was there with Finn from the Fordham yeah. place, uh, you know, uh, defending the Common Core. He said, well, as long as we believe it is correct to tax everybody and to have government schools, he didn't say it that way, but as long as we think this is the right thing to do, the moral thing for, to do is for you to be taxed to pay for the education of somebody else, then we have to have accountability. And this is just really the end game of ultimate accountability, which is the federal government taking over. I mean, it's kind of like Obamacare. Once we finally get to full single payer, then you always have to have a Bloomberg banning sodas. You always have to have the government taxing your cigarettes because right. everything is an expense of the system. If if the federal government is going to be spending money on our education or if any government is going to spend money on the education, they want to have accountability, as they call it. They want to see where their tax dollars are going, and then the government's going to take control of it. Exactly, which is, by the way, just another reason why I oppose vouchers. Uh, uh, vouchers are not about uh, educational freedom. Uh, what the what the end effect of vouchers really will be will be the government taking over private schools, right? Because the government always follows its own money, and if if it if the government gives education vouchers to children to go to private school, eventually the government will go to those private schools that are accepting vouchers and insist that that those schools uh, hire certified teachers, teachers certified by the government, uh, and that they use government-mandated curricula. Um, so, the, the, I mean, what we're seeing here is a massive attempt by the government to take over the entire education system of this country, which, to put a finer point on it, is to basically control the minds of all children in America. That's what it's about. And so ultimately, I do not think it is an exaggeration to see the totalitarian implications uh, in the common core and this increasing centralization of education in America, which is why um, we, we cannot and, and, and should not accept uh, the common core. In fact, we, we have to do quite the opposite. Uh, rather than nationalizing education, ultimately what we need to do is implode power away from the federal government, down into the states, and then from the states, down into local communities, and then from local communities, back into the hands of parents, where it ought to be. There ought to be zero government involvement in education at any level. Right. I mean, education, and and this is really what I think is going to be the sticking point for many people listening to the show. So many people think, oh, yeah, there must 
be a free education. Education, a free education is a right. And I think until people get around this idea that education is a right, until they reject that and realize that, yes, education is a responsibility of a parent, but if that responsibility is defaulted on, it's not the government's job to step in. That would be the role for a private charity or something. And if you do accept that government should be involved in education, the common core is the natural, logical end result of that path. And you and you can't basically avoid it. It's going to creep further and further because you want accountability of where your tax. I, w- I would love to see where the four, however many billion dollars of race to the top money went, for instance. Right. I, I mean, just imagine they spend six hundred and some odd million dollars on an Obamacare website. Who knows where that four whatever billion dollars of race to the top money went? It it's horrible. So we, I mean, we need to get people to reject that premise entirely. And that that was the thing that disappointed me with Cato, is that as good as the opponents of the Common Core at Cato were, they did not directly question that basic premise, that it's correct to tax people and have government providing education with that tax money. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you know, and I'm sure some of your uh, listeners know, that uh, a year ago I published an essay in the Objective Standard called The New Abolitionism, uh, Why Education Emancipation is the Moral Imperative of Our Time. And in that essay, I made it very clear, I mean, that, that the government school system is the single most immoral institution in the United States. It's, mm-hmm. it's based on coercive force from top to bottom. It's based on uh, the coercive force associated with compulsory attendance laws, uh, taxation, uh, and, then, and then indirectly through mandatory uh, curricula and standards. And uh, it's immoral. And it, what it does is it takes away from parents the single most important responsibility that we as parents have, which is with the rearing and education uh, of our children. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every parent has an obligation or a responsibility, for instance, to homeschool their children, but they do no. have a responsibility to have their children educated, which is, the, which is to say to find an education uh, for their children if they're not going to homeschool in a, in, in a private school or, or in a parochial school. And um, in in the years ahead, as the government education establishment implodes, um, what we're going to see is we're going to see one of the most incredible educational revolutions uh, that we've seen uh, in centuries taking place in the United States. Uh, in many ways, it's already taking place through the internet. Um, through um, you know, it's now possible for a brilliant 16-year-old living in rural Alaska to take a course in physics with a professor at MIT via the Internet, right? Right. That's that's just stunning if you think about it. And there are innumerable ways in which um, uh, the the world of education, uh, if we can stop something like Common Core, uh, the, the ways in which education will be diversified are innumerable uh, in the decades ahead. And that, that's one of the areas in which I think uh, we, we should all uh, be very optimistic um, about, about our future and the future of freedom. Because one of the ways in which um, you know, we have been, in fact, I would say the principal vehicle that has taken us down the road uh, to... Uh, serfdom and, and tyranny in this country has been the existence of the government school system. Uh, and 
as it implodes and as we can help to tear it down, um, we will uh, our freedoms will increase correspondingly. Right. Now, between now and the time that it implodes, though, there may be a number of people who are restricted in being able to access stuff like that. Suppose, for instance, they say, well, you brilliant 16-year-old in Alaska, you can't take the course at MIT unless you do well on the SAT, and the SAT is now geared to test the Common Core. Oh, you've been homeschooled? You don't know the Common Core? So sorry. You know, bad luck for you. I'm I'm actually thinking that there may be a period of time where parents who are now sending kids through school may just have to plan on never sending their kid to college. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's one of the questions that's been asked of me uh, just actually today. Um, before before I called in was how how is the Common Core going to affect homeschooling? Um, and you know you might think that on the surface it wouldn't affect homeschooling at all, but this is not true. Um, it will affect homeschooling at the very least indirectly um, because Common Core standards will be used by all the uh, national testing services like Stanford and Iowa, but most importantly. Um, by the education testing services and, and the SAT and the ACT, and you know which all homeschooled kids have to take if they want to go to college. But if the ACT and the SAT uh, are geared to the Common Core, and a homeschooling family uh, isn't, um, if their curriculum is not connected to the Common Core, then their children are at a very distinct advantage. And so what you'll find is. Uh, a lot of homeschooling families uh, will be uh, dragged kicking and screaming toward uh, common core standards even for their homeschooling so that their kids can get into college right. and so but you know there's also uh, there's also a movement amy um, uh, right now that's very small but it's growing uh, for kids not to go to college Right. I, I, I was saying, you know, just just to have your kids go to Ruby on Rails boot camp and become computer programmers without college. You know, there's a lot you can do without college. Absolutely. And the entrepreneur Peter Thiel in San Francisco, he started started a scholarship fund, um, which gives. Um, I might have this wrong, but it's something like uh, these scholarship recipients get something like a hundred thousand dollars not to go to college and to start a business. Wow. Uh, yeah, isn't that interesting? And yeah. um, uh, and that kind well, of thing, I think, is going to grow increasingly. Uh, and, and that's a, it's a good thing, I think. And of course, I mean, the, the, also, um, we we do have a higher education bubble in the United States, and when families are being saddled with a forty or a fifty thousand dollar per year bill to send their kids to college, I mean, who can afford that? Yeah, who um, wants to? Precisely. And, 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 and particularly when the job prospects aren't that good, you know, getting out of college. That's right. Who wants to graduate from college with a $120,000 um, bill uh, and with a degree in women's studies? Yeah, no, it's, right. it's not going to work. Now, we've got only a couple of minutes, but I wanted to ask you one question that's coming up here in the chat room. People to ask time and again, well, what about the poor people who couldn't afford an education in a free market? What's your answer for them? Well, uh, my short answer for them is uh, I think I have a new essay coming out in the next issue of the Objective Standard, which is going to address that question. 
Okay. Uh, it's going to it's going to address the issue of what education will look like uh, in a free market, um, including uh, how a free market uh, in education will will educate uh, poor children. And the answer is very. And this is a very this is the short answer, but it's very simple. As we as we dismantle the government school system, there will be an explosion in the creation of new schools uh, to meet to meet the demand. Um, every every single church in America will have a school. Major corporations in America will have a, will have schools. There'll be local associations, voluntary associations of parents will start schools. Um, and uh, you know you'll have um, strip mall schools uh, starting. Uh, you've got already uh, Khan Academy uh, online schools, mm-hmm. uh, which which are servicing hundreds of thousands of kids right now. And I mean the bottom line is uh, with a computer, uh, a child will be able to get a world. You know, in ten years. As long as a child has a computer, they'll be able to get a world-class education, far superior um, to what they're getting in the government schools. Um, See, and, that, so and, that, I, and that's, a, that's a definite positive note. I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off there, but will you promise to come back after your article is published so we can discuss that as well? Of course. I'd be delighted Excellent. to come back and talk about it. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was Dr. C. Bradley Thompson, and you can find the other article that we spoke about, which is called The New Abolitionism, Why Education Emancipation is the Moral Imperative of Our Time. The link is over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. It will require a subscription to the objective standard, which is worth it to you, okay? We've only got about 40 seconds left, so this is where I have to tell you I've enjoyed this. Please go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com and comment on today's show if you want to Add, maybe ask a question, too, because our discussion was cut off a little bit quick. You can also go check out Bosch's work at faustin.blogspot.com. But the biggest thing you can do to help the show, if you're enjoying it, is just spread the word. Uh, tell your friends if you like the show. Share links. Click like here and there. And uh, we thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.